2 Corinthians 4. I'll read the entire chapter. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, unhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word by the open statement of truth. By the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we, we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in, in jars of clay to show th that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentarily, affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You can open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. This morning we'll be considering verses 18 to 24. I've entitled the sermon, The Place of Assurance. Your bulletin says the place of certainty, um, and uh, that does fit in some ways, uh, but I've I used the title, The Place of Assurance. And I'd like us within that to ask the two questions that exist in that statement. Where or in whom should our assurance be held? Who do we look to to find assurance within our hearts? And then secondly, what role should this assurance have in our everyday life? Is this something we figure out once and settle it? Or is it something that is part of our everyday walk with God? So who or what is our assurance based on? 
and what role does it play in our life is really the two questions we'd like to ask. Within this idea of of assurance, we often uh, run into the kind of contentious idea of eternal security. And I'd like us to consider that in two perspectives uh, before we jump into our text. I think if we get these perspectives wrong, it changes our view of what our assurance in Christ is or what our security in Christ is. I've, also, I've often viewed this from two perspectives. One is God's perspective, and one is our perspective. And from God's perspective, Jesus says, no one will snatch them from my hand. From God's perspective, Jesus pursues the one of the 100 who has left, and he brings them back to the 99. From God's perspective, he will be faithful to his promise. We see this idea of God being faithful to his promise throughout Scripture, to Abraham, to Joseph, to David, and on and on we could go. God makes a promise, and he is going to deliver that promise. And God promises that if we believe in Jesus as Messiah, if we acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, and if we come under his lordship, that he will save us. From this text, we see God is greater than our hearts. And so from God's perspective, the promise of salvation to those who call upon the name of Christ is absolutely assured. The second perspective is our perspective. And we shouldn't get them confused because we don't find within Scripture the apostles or or us being instructed to claim this sort of absolute assurance or security. We don't live in a sense where, well, I did that then and so it's good for the rest of my life. That's not what we're instructed. We're instructed to obey and to love. We're instructed to walk daily with God. And so we hear the apostles urging to us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We hear Jesus say, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And from this text, we see, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. And so, I think if we keep those perspectives the way they ought to be, we can have a right understanding of assurance. I'll go ahead and read our text at this point, uh, reading from verses 18 to 24 of 1 John chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, 
If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. couple comments um, on this particular text. One of the, the phrases that we often key in on is there in verse 22. Uh, and Brother Jerry interacted with this as well in, in, in the text he read. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. So whatever we ask, we receive. And um, I'm not attempting to punt this down the road, but if you look over in chapter 5, there's a more thorough treatment of prayer and of bringing requests to God. And so when we get to that, we're, we're going to dive into this pretty deeply. And I would say um, up front that I think we tend to try to answer these questions at the extreme edge rather than in the mundane pieces of everyday life. And so whatever we ask, does that mean the, the mansion? Does that mean whatever I want? Oh, that's rather fleshly. It, it might mean that you asked him to forgive your sins, and he did that. It might mean that you asked him to help you control your tongue, and he did that. It might mean that you asked him to be present with you as you went about his work, and he did that. And so um, that's probably enough on that. If I'm to boil this down into one statement, I would say that the Christian should live in community with God, bringing about obedience to God's commandments and resulting in a confidence in Jesus that overcomes our heart's condemnation. I'll repeat that. The Christian should live in community with God, bringing about obedience to God's commandments and resulting in a confidence in Jesus that overcomes our heart's condemnation. Uh, within that statement, you're going to find four C's, and that's what's going to govern our talk or our sermon this morning. The four C's of this text are condemnation, confidence, commandment, and community. And I'll just acknowledge that this, uh, the use of these words is not original with me, um, but I'll happily use it. So the first is to consider uh, what does it mean that our hearts condemn us? And I'll preface uh, that section by saying the key verse here is the first verse uh, there in verse 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. So John is attempting to, to help us understand how do we reassure our hearts? How do we know that we are of the truth? How do we find assurance that our faith is in the right place and that our faith is held rightly in our lives? 
And so he gives us these four C's to consider that. And the first is this idea of condemnation. Let me back up a little bit. Verse 19 begins, by this we shall know. And to consider the by this, we need to look back at the remainder of the book. And there's multiple things specifically that 1 John 3 says that we should know and we should look to. And the first is that we are becoming like God. We are bearing his image. The second, we are putting death, putting to death sin in our lives. The third, that we are living in love, living out of love for our fellow humans. These three are the evidence that Jesus is within us. And so John is is pointing back when he says, by this you're going to know. So if these three things are present, you're going to know that God is within you, that the truth is within you. These are the, the physical evidence that God is present with you. It's not a, a feeling. It's not a decision. It's not a socially reinforced idea. Again, if we go back to the two perspectives, from man's perspective, how do we know we are within Christ? We look at our fruit. Are we putting to death sin? Are we growing in love? Are we living, abiding with Jesus? If these are absent, again, I think we must question, is Jesus my Messiah? If these are completely absent from our life, we have to heed that warning. And so I think it's our tendency to to look at our life and go, Am I really becoming like God? Am I really bearing His image? And we consider our life and we go, well, I got angry there and I was pretty selfish there and and we can get completely um, out of control when we consider our own brokenness. And so right on clue, John says, I think there's some of you that are going to take that too far. And your hearts are going to demand this this perfection that you know and I know we cannot perform. And this heart is then going to heap condemnation upon us. And so, kind of against that backdrop, this is what it looks to be in Christ, in perfect form, but yet our heart is going to condemn us. How do we deal with that? And so the first C then is condemnation. We see this in verse 20 and 21. If our heart condemns us. As I mentioned earlier, we generally know ourselves. There's obviously some blind spots within us where we don't see clearly. But we generally know our weaknesses. We know the areas where we ought to love, but it's difficult. And maybe we love begrudgingly or maybe not at all. We know the places that our desires lead us astray. And and we know even in those places we may have not allowed our desires to sway our behavior, but we know they're there and that bothers us. Now, I think there are areas in our lives where our heart rightly condemns us. 
That's our conscience telling us when we're trespassing upon the law of God. And I don't think this is necessarily what he's talking about here. If there is a place of brokenness, if there is a place of sinfulness that we're unwilling to deal with and our heart condemns us, then it rightly condemns us. And again, let's return to the remainder of chapter 3. Do we confess? Do we turn away? Do we live in love as a result of our sin? Is that our response? If it's not our response, then our heart rightly condemns us. But I think here it's, it's, it's our heart being sensitive to making sure things are perfect. Think uh, small C condemn and big C condemn. Um, I think the big C condemn is right. If we are living sinfully and not turning from it, then we are rightfully condemned. I think what this heart's condemnation betrays is a trust in ourselves to get things right to attain God's blessing. And if that's where our trust is, if our trust is not in Christ, then our heart will always condemn us because we're never really truly going to measure up. The second C we see then is confidence. So if we see this condemnation within ourselves, if our heart condemns us, what do we turn to for confidence? We see this in verses 19 and 21. And the first statement he said is, God is greater than our hearts. God knows more than we do. He understands our hearts more than we do. He understands his purposes more than we do. He knows everything. And at first glance, that's probably a bit of a terrifying thing. He he knows everything about me. He, He knows where my heart is broken. He knows where my behavior is broken. But that's also the glory of the gospel, is that God knows everything. And he didn't send Jesus to those who were inclined to be his children. He sent those whom he knew were rebels against him. And so God is greater than our hearts. He makes a way where we cannot see. He comes and he deals with our sinfulness by placing it on Jesus on the cross. And so the second phrase where we see this heart condemning is he says, if our heart does not condemn. And the question is, is how do we get there? How do we get from that place where the heart is not condemning, but we have confidence? And I'm going to submit to you that it's not that we remove all the things that our heart is condemning us in, and so we now no longer have anything that our heart condemns us in. And you may say, well, how do you get there? How do we get to a place where our heart does not condemn us? Well, I think John answers that question for us in 1 John 1, looking at verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, 
and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so in 1 John 1, in those verses, he gives us four reasons to consider why our heart condemning us is not a criteria by which God judges us. How do we get to a place where our heart can rest on something else and not condemn us? First, acknowledge that God is light and in Him is no darkness. Acknowledge that God is above us and we walk openly and wholly before God. Live in a posture of confession and receive His forgiveness. And oh, and by the way, we don't get to declare ourselves righteous. He says there in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, if we say we are righteous of ourselves, so think about heart condemning, we get to the point to say, well, my, my heart's not condemning me in any place. I don't think that's what he's attempting us to get. That's not the posture he wants us to have. The posture he wants us to have is that my faith is not in my heart. The place of my assurance is not in my ability to get everything sorted out. But my faith is in God's ability to cleanse me, to redeem me, to forgive. And that brings us then to the third C. The third C of commandment. We see this in verse 23. And this is his commandment. So this follows from verse 22. Whatever we receive, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So does this mean all of the commandments? Or is he specifically talking about particular ones? And he answers that question in verse 23. And this is the commandment that he's talking about. That we believe in the name of his Son, and that we love one another. Again, if you consider in Scripture the call to to faith in Christ, it's always a call to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's always very shortly followed by the command to love one another. This should sound familiar. What does Jesus say are the two great commandments? To love God? I think seeing Jesus as the Messiah is a significant part of loving God, receiving him for as who he is, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. So we're to love God. We're to love his image. We're to seek to be image bearers of him in the world. We're to obey him. I think 
um, if you've read the read the blog post that comes out on email on Fridays, I, I tried to make the, the case that obedience is equal to love, and that love is, obe- is equal to obedience. If we love God, we obey Him. They cannot be separated. And then to love each other, to prefer each other over ourselves. The fourth C, then, that we see is that of community. We see this in verses 23 and 24. We obey, we place ourselves under God's lordship, and he grants us community with himself. He gives us the Holy Spirit to be his presence within us, to live within us, to shape us, to show us how to live, to bring about righteousness. Again, God's law is, is not just born in a, in a list of what to do, and we simply assess ourselves to that. That's a part of the Christian life. But God's law is also born by the Holy Spirit in relationship, in community with us. If you consider the way God originally related with Adam and Eve in the garden, it says he walked with them. He was in community, and he longs to be that way with us. And so this community with God is everyday life. Living with God as a central part of our lives. I'll return again to consider uh, the kind of summary statement. And if, if you look, I've put the four C's in reverse. The Christian should live in community with God. If we live in community with God as is described here, it brings about obedience to His commandments. So if we live in community with God, if we live with His presence among us, we see love of neighbor being developed. We see obedience to His word being developed. We see trust in Jesus being strengthened. And that results in a confidence. A confidence that God is working within us that he is bringing about his nature within us. And seeing that is what overcomes our heart's condemnation. So what is the place of assurance? Where should my assurance be held? In whom should it rest? It should rest in Christ alone. It should rest in God's work in us and for us. And secondly, what role should this sense of assurance play in everyday life? I think it plays a massive part. God does not save us that we walk around in fear of his wrath every day. He saves us because he is our father and he loves us and he cares for us and he longs for us to live in relationship. And as the Apostle Paul says, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come to God with a sense of assurance that he will be faithful to his promises, that he will do what he says. And this assurance affects our coming to God. And it affects our relationships with each other. Because I don't place on you the delivery of my assurance. 
the building up of my assurance. I don't place that on myself. I place that in Christ. Is your assurance resting on yourself? Or is your assurance resting in Christ? This passage, I believe, would call us to rest in Christ and to believe that God is above us and he knows and he has provided his way for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that you would show us the places in our life where we have placed our assurance in other things. Father, help us to consider where we have placed ourselves and our own abilities and our own ways as the means of that assurance. Father, I pray that our assurance would be in you, and in your goodness toward us, and in your ability to rescue us. And Father, within this, may our heart's condemnation be revealed, and may it reveal, reveal to us the places where we've trusted in ourselves. Father, may our confidence be in you and in your working for us. And Father, within each of us, grow in us a love for your commandments. Make obedience sweet. May it bring about your image and your nature within each of us. And Father, call us into community with you. Bring about a desire in each of our hearts for your word and for your presence. We recognize that apart from your presence, we have no hope. And may our hope and our trust and our assurance rest in you. Do this, Father, for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's have a song.